the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. says that Nightmare Before Christmas is the, uh, the the Halloween movie to watch, but I think that that's actually the November 1st movie to watch. because the, That is the November 1st. It's a perfect November 1st movie. Yeah, because the movie starts at midnight on, on Halloween. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It does. So it technically starts like at 1201, November 1, so that's when you should be watching it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I was listening to uh, our episode 24 last week, and I have to make another correction for myself, Mike. Uh, mm. I, I have to correct myself every week, obviously, because <laughs> I'm, I'm not a smart man. But I, I, do find, I do find my mistakes, and I like to correct them. I mentioned in the episode that I know Simple Plan. Um, I know of Simple Plan. I don't actually know the band Simple Plan. <laughs> yeah, you're not friends with Simple Plan. Absolutely not. You're I, not friends with uh, Pierre Bouvier. Pierre Bouvier does not know me by name. Sebastian, the guitar player, does not. Jeff, other guitar player, does not. I know them all by name. I, I like that they're super French names. Oh, you God, Pierre, yeah. Sebastian, and then you have Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Stincio. <laughs> Stinko? Stincio? Stinso? I don't know how to say his last name. And then there's Chuck Como. But uh, no, I don't know the band at all. I At one of the concerts that you and I went to actually back in 2012, Pierre, the lead singer, high-fived me. I know. During that was wo- a huge moment. Oh, it was huge in, in Neil's uh, <laughs> Neil's life. Uh, when we were singing Welcome to My Life, he came out into the audience and uh, I high-fived him. Yeah. yeah. And then I met them later that year when they signed my uh, Simple Plan biography book in Toronto, mm. which was fun. What's that? What's that biography called? Is it a fun name? No, I think it's just called Simple Plan. They, there's so many fun things they could have done there. I know. Usually they go according to plan. <laughs> I <don't> know. Like... <laughs> yeah, they're usually pretty good about naming their albums. Like they had, uh, yeah, no pads, no helmets, just balls, and still not getting any. <laughs> also, I'd like to say part two of the gangbusters, uh, the whole gangbusters thing that we had last episode, where we were trying to figure out the definition of gangbusters. When something is selling well, you usually say selling like gangbusters. I did a little bit more research. According to UrbanDictionary.com, gangbusters- Very reputable source. Very reputable. I trust it for everything, uh, just like Wikipedia. Gangbusters was famous, was a famous radio program that was first heard in 1936 and aired until 1957. So right around the time the GameCube launched, uh, the sound (laughs) effects of police sirens, Tommy guns, and screeching tires that opened the show were dramatic and exciting. This this inspired the expression, coming on like gangbusters. Uh, Usage Mm -hmm. has opened up to describe things that are not just exciting, but also successful, intense, and many other adjectives. And many dropped the coming-like prefix. So that's that's the actual uh, lineage of that term. That's a very cool. That's very cool. English has a lot of these weird-ass idioms like that. Uh, and, and sometimes they come from pop culture stuff like this. Uh, and then they get used in not even close to the original context. So there yeah. you go. And had nothing to do with uh, nothing to do with the show, or nothing to do with police or civilians uh, busting up gangs. So, <laughs> anyway, Mike, I was thinking this week a little bit about just hobbies in general because you and I we have a lot of interests outside of the GameCube. That's one of the things I like to think we should be proud of that we're not just gamers. We're also into music and cooking and and exercise. Um, have you ever had a hobby that you dropped completely and then went back to? For me, for example, the last couple months, I I used to skateboard when I was twelve. And I gave it up completely. So for the last mm-hmm. 13 years, my skateboard has sat in my garage. But then recently, uh, one friend of the show, Matt, he uh, we, we both picked up Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remake on PS4. 
and it got us back into skateboarding. So we've been going to skate parks. Uh, a lot of little kids on scooters at skate parks these days, which I'm not a huge fan of. As as Gavin called, you know, earlier on in the in episode seven for the extreme sports games, mm-hmm. when we asked him like, where where are the where is the genre now? Yeah, and he was just like scooters. Every kid just scooters now. He was not joking. Every single like, if you show up with a skateboard, you're weird, and I guess it makes <laughs> me feel old, given that my skateboard is older than most of the children on said scooters. I feel extra old. Yeah, I, I probably shouldn't be there at the times that I'm there. But hey, I'm having fun. I'm wearing a helmet. I'm leaving them alone. So it's fine. But it's great. Ha- dude. Have you ever had a hobby where you left it and then went back to it a long time later? For me, that's 10 or more now. I gave it up when I was, what, 14. I'm now 27. So 13 years of not skating and now I'm back on it. So it's a long, long hiatus. I guess uh, a hobby that I would have dropped would be Crazy Bones uh, that I oh, <laughs> that okay. I picked up. <laughs> Did you pick I it just... back up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just was I don't know for whatever reason Crazy Bones came up in my head, and uh, I was like, yeah, in 1999 I did uh, buy a couple of Crazy Bones, and then that was it. <laughs> Nothing is more 90s than Crazy Bones. <laughs> it has got to be the quickest fad I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I still have some Crazy Bones. I absolutely love Crazy Bones, especially Series One. Crazy Bones. I lost all of mine when I was like, when I was a child, and I went back to a thrift store near our house and picked up a bag of Crazy Bones for I think four dollars, and I just kept them in a mug. They're on my shelf, just to <laughs> it's remember. Because Crazy Bones are one of those things that like a lot of people older than us, just a couple of years older than us, have no idea what that is, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a lot of people just a couple of years younger than a couple us weeks have younger no than us have no <laughs> idea what it is. <laughs> so it, it's such a a weird time capsule mm-hmm. of like 1999 2000 yeah it's uh it's it's very strange um uh so yeah i'm, I'm really glad that um that i've got to mention crazy bones on this uh podcast that didn't even but... have any relevance to what i asked you either <laughs> well it's it was a hobby picking up you know collecting crazy bones yeah, it was a hobby yes in 1999 which have you picked it up again because i think they still make crazy bones i i there's I could be no wrong. way there's no way they still make crazy bones I, I will i will wager a large amount on that not in america but there, there were some weird ones like if you go back to gogo's crazy bones they have some like they have full bodies now they're not just heads and weird shapes oh, okay. they're actual like little figures so they kind not... of evolved into like the tech dudes you remember those things yes. like the escape yeah like that's tech kind of what it ev- mm. yeah tech deck yeah thank you yeah. tech deck dudes that's kind of what it evolved in i think for me basically making candy that you can't eat that's pretty much what they were <laughs> yeah. uh but but to answer your question seriously i can't mm-hmm. really think of hobbies off the top of my head that i've I, I was really into that I kind of mm-hmm. dropped off on. I've picked up a lot of things over the years. Sure. Uh, and, and and tried them, but... Uh, but you never I, go back to something after you've given it up. You kind of just... You try it, and if you don't like it, you give it up, and then... Yeah, you've yeah. You've maintained and, a ton of, of hobbies over the years. Like, you're great at piano. You love video games, obviously. And... Yeah, and I'm I'm a I'm a pretty big vinyl collector. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I also collect um, Criterion Edition movies. I like collecting things, but... There's always a limit to the collections. Sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, maybe I'll think about this and I'll answer you back next uh, next episode. Oh, now. that sounds like fun. Sure. Well, I'll follow up with you next week then. That sounds good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I like to say that to mention, I guess, that Neil was in a music video Yep. Uh, last week. It was uh, from the band that we both love, Spanish Love Songs. They put out a music video and I caught uh, Mr. Neil there eating some cake, sadly. Yeah. Very sadly. That's correct, Mike. Uh the- Band Spanish love songs, very small band. I don't even. They're from Philadelphia, I think. But uh, I got probably really... have equal listeners to us. I think so. <laughs> no, I think they have a few more. I, I mean, every week I like to say that we fill up with our listeners. We could fill up a small venue, so we're probably very close to Spanish love songs in terms of fans. <laughs> but no, they're they're 
a band that I absolutely fell in love with back in 2018 when Mike, you introduced me to them. And I've seen them twice now in concert and I've have, I have their record. I have it signed by the lead singer and their keyboard player. But back early on in the pandemic, they put out a message on Instagram just saying, Hey, please send us a, a video of you eating cake morosely. <laughs> and which is a reference to one of their earlier music videos off of their first, it's technically second album. But the music video is the lead singer eating cake in a hot tub. And they wanted to make part two of that kind of music video. So they wanted to get all the fans involved. So the music mm -hmm. video is just about three to four minutes of fans and the bandmates eating cake or various ice creams and sundaes. And I show up at around uh, three minutes and 38 seconds, I think. I'm towards the end. So mm -hmm. if you're listening to this episode right now, search up Spanish love songs on YouTube. Look up this song, Optimism as a Lifestyle Choice, and you'll see me. I don't know if you'll – most people don't know what I look like, but I'm sitting in a basement wearing a Majora's Mask toque eating a cupcake. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to say that Neil is the obvious choice here. It's like, it's like, oh, which one's Neil? Oh, it's okay, got it. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. That's been a highlight for sure mm -hmm. this week. And this is episode twenty-five. But Mike, before we start the episode, we have a little bit of a special event. You asked me earlier on in the week during our private group chat. Uh, you wanted me to guess the top ten most popular episodes ranked by total downloads from number ten to number one. Correct. Yeah, because we've gone through 25 episodes now, our silver anniversary here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to try and get Neil to go through these top 10 popular episodes. Uh, we use a service called Podbean, and that gives us all our fun stats mm -hmm. and uh, and hosts our episodes. And so, yeah, what it's going to be, Neil, if, if it's on the list, Neil gets half a point. And if Neil gets the exact placement, he scores one point. Mm -hmm. So... Let's let, let's get it right. Yeah, let's I'm, I'm going to see. I haven't looked at the statistics. Podbean, Mike, as Mike said, that is the service that we use. We're not paid by them to say that, but they are a fantastic service. They have all the statistics lined up at the end of every month. We review them just to see where we are, see growth, see where we can improve. So if, if they want to pay us, we'll 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 very much welcome it. I would absolutely welcome it because it, <laughs> I would stand behind it. I think that they're a great service. So if you're out there thinking about starting a podcast, definitely check out Podbean because it's a great spot to start. I think that was one of the first steps that you and I took, Mike, when we started this podcast was to get registered on Podbean. Mm -hmm. We'll even make a jingle for you, Podbean, if Ooh, you want to sponsor us. Yeah, they love our jingles. I noticed <laughs> at the beginning of this episode, by the way, the Halloween jingle is over, but I'm sure that we'll have something special for Christmas lined up in a few weeks. Of course, of course. Of course. All right, so let me start with episode 10. You let me know, Mike, if I get one point or half a point or no points, and let's see where I end up, okay? Of course. Okay, so for the 10th most popular episode, I'm going to, so we're going to start with 10 and go back to one. I'm going to start with episode 16, Tony Hawk. Uh, unfortunately, that is not on the list. Not on the list. Okay, zero points still. All right. Moving on to the ninth most popular episode, I'm going to say episode 13, Star Fox Adventures, Eternal Darkness, and Cubivore. That is on the list, but it is not number nine. Point five. Not number nine. Okay, so I get half a, half a point. All right, all right. Hmm. All right, so episode, let's go with the eighth most popular episode. I'm going to say episode 10, Dreamcast. Uh, point five, not number eight. I'm happy that it's on the list though. So I'm, I'm yeah, good with the point well. fives. Mm -hmm. Doing okay. <laughs> so seventh, I'm going to say episode 18, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is on the list, mm. but it is not at number seven. Not another point five. Okay, another point five. All right, I'm at 1.5 so far, so I'm not bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for the sixth place, I'm going to say episode six, BMX Triple X. No, BMX Triple X did not make the cut. Wow, I thought that was a popular one for, it was for like a week. But I guess, I guess all of our podcasts <laughs> all are doing podcast. yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of our episodes are popular for a week. That's true. Okay, no points for that one. So on the fifth place, I'm going to say episode 19, Wrestling Games. 
Uh, unfortunately, wrestling games did not make the cut. Ah, damn. Okay. So fourth place, I'm going to say episode 20, Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot did not make the cut. Damn. Okay, do I? I don't even listen to our show, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. So I'm going to say for third place, getting into the, the final round here, episode seven, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Melee got... clocks in at number three. Wow. Okay, sweet. My first, my first win. Okay, finally. <laughs> okay, so for number two, Silver Medal, I'm going to say episode one, Launch Day. Also correct, number two Whoa. is launch day. Our first episode coming in at second place. Okay, it's had time, so it, it's had the most yeah, leg up there. And then for number one, I'm gonna say episode, ooh, drum roll, episode 15, Super Mario Sunshine. Ding ding. Ooh, yes. You are correct. Sunshine is our number one episode by actually quite a large margin. Mm. Yeah, so it uh, goes Sunshine, launch day, Melee, Luigi's Mansion, mm. Hit and Run, Dreamcast, at number six, Pikmin at number seven. Oh, good. Uh, Star Fox and Eternal Darkness at number eight. FIFA and sports games, or and soccer games, sorry, at number nine. And then Animal Crossing at number 10. Animal Crossing at number 10. Okay, so I did okay. Mike, I got 4.5 points out of a possible 10 points. So I failed. Yeah, you did fail. So yeah. you'll have to redo uh, the, uh, the, the grade. So you'll have to retake it next year. Well, we'll retake it again at episode 50. How about that? Yeah, sounds okay. good. <laughs> Which is in 25 weeks, so that's okay. <laughs> that was a fun game. I like that. That was, a, that was a good idea. We'll have to do that again. Yep. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is episode 25 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We are on all the other podcast services as well, if you for some reason listen to one of those. Please review us, give us positive or negative reviews. We will try to read any review on this podcast for fun. <laughs> Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at the GameCube Pod, or you can search for us. We are the GameCube is Cool Podcast. If you run a recognized media outlet, please write an article about us so we can become legit and have a Wikipedia page. That would be fantastic. We are the number one podcast on the internet. We are here to look back on all five. Did you say you said we're the number one podcast on the internet? Yeah, I always say that. I skip over. <laughs> we are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. It's subliminal messaging. We are here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Last week, we covered Scooby-Doo games. We mostly just talked about Scooby-Doo in general uh, on the GameCube. Um... And uh, go back and check it out if you haven't already. It's a fantastic episode. It's great for Halloween. But that's over. It's still good anyway. <laughs> this week, we're covering the GameCube classic Metroid Prime. Mike, talk to me a little bit about Metroid. What? Uh, when did you discover this franchise? Well, I discovered this franchise actually through Smash Bros. And I, as I mm -hmm. feel a lot of people and a lot of kids my age did. Yep. Um, because, you know, funny enough, uh, Melee came out a full year before a Metroid Prime did. And uh, the 3D skin of Samus is in that, which is uh, pretty interesting to come out like a full year before. And I know, obviously, we're going to talk about the crazy development of this game. Uh, so they actually really didn't have that done. No. <laughs> so someone someone basically had to quickly make a 3D render of uh, of Samus for uh, for for Melee. But uh, yeah, that that was my first kind of foray into what Metroid was. I I had never heard of Metroid before. I don't think I didn't know anyone who played the Metroid series of old because there is quite a huge gap between um, between uh, Metroid Prime and uh, and uh, Super Metroid, I believe. Right, Neil? Yeah. Eight years. Eight yeah. Years. And, and so that's, you know, in in gaming terms and as well as just being a kid, that's like a massive amount of time. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, my first foray was with was with Smash, but I did know a couple people who played Metroid later on in life. Uh 
and uh, obviously you being one of them. I played Metroid. I got it from Blockbuster, nice. uh, as one does. I played Metroid Prime. I liked the game a lot, and I but that was it. I never picked up Echoes. I never played Corruption. Um, I it just was one of those games that I played. I beat it. Uh, over my seven days, my seven day rental. Wow, you beat it in seven <laughs> uh, days. I'm I I'm I vividly remember beating it because mm. I knew that I had to get it back in seven days. <laughs> there was a deadline. There was a deadline, <laughs> and and uh, I think I must have played it over the summer or something mm. because I remember having the time to play it. So right. it definitely wasn't during the school year. No, it's that's a tough game to jump in when you haven't played any of the old Metroid games. It's a completely new type of game because you wouldn't have played anything like that either before Metroid Prime, right? No, and yeah, and yeah. and if I'm thinking, I probably would have played this in 2004 or 2005. Okay, that would have been the time I would have originally played it. And so I, at that point, yeah, I had really only played sports games and Mario games, like <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. And Resident yeah. Evil Four, I think, had just come out, and so okay. I played that. Yeah. No, that's that. That's a great summer if you're playing Resident Evil 4 and Metroid Prime. Those are two of the best <laughs> games on the console. You're not alone, though. A lot of people our age, especially like that early 90s to mid 90s generation, we missed Metroid because there was no Metroid game on N64, which from 1999 or 1995, sorry, until 2002, I was introduced to Metroid like you on Super Smash Bros on N64. I didn't know Samus or who Samus yeah. was until I played that game. And I loved playing as Samus because she has the Kamehameha move with the Powerball. And I thought that was the coolest thing because I loved yeah. Dragon Ball Z when I was that age. So I picked playing Samus, but I had no idea. First of all, I had no idea it was a woman, which was a huge thing back in the 80s when Samus was revealed to be a woman. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I eventually played Metroid Prime way later. I picked it up when I started collecting for GameCube back in 2014, I believe it was. I bought Metroid Prime on eBay and played it absolutely adored it but i had not played a metroid game until that point i don't think since then i've gone back and played a bunch of them i mostly played the 2d ones i've tried metroid prime echoes i played most of it i think i got sidetracked and didn't play the rest of it and i started playing metroid prime 3 corruption on wii but mm -hmm. i couldn't it was at that point where i was just sick of pointer controls yeah yeah that I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I don't think that's one of the Wii games that's compatible with the GameCube controller. So you were forced to play that with the Nunchuck and Wiimote, which Correct. at that point I was kind of done with it. And I knew that I actually much prefer the two, not much, but I do prefer the 2D Metroid games. So I went back and played Super Metroid. I played the original Metroid, which I don't think holds up super well. Mm -hmm. And then I even played Return of Samus on 3DS back in 2017. After the Switch came out, uh, Metroid Return of Samus came out on 3DS, and it got me to play 3DS <laughs> consistently for a couple weeks. You remember that? I was at a party. Uh, uh, we, yeah. we were hanging out at, a fr at your house, actually. We were playing Smash Bros. on Wii U, probably, or something. And uh, I was sitting on the couch playing Samus Returns on my 3DS. Yeah, you loved it. So yeah oh i adored that game i highly recommend if you're still playing 3ds out there for whatever reason i highly <laughs> and if you haven't picked up samus returns i highly recommend that one it's a really really good looking game too mm -hmm. on 3ds like it, it looks beautiful I, I love the art style of it they, they did an amazing job it's as good looking as it can be on the 3ds i've always had a problem with the 3ds's graphic capability and oh for sure yeah, yeah. It, it looks muddy it looks a little blurry because they're trying to make make it work with 3D graphics as well, which of course no one ever used. But uh, going back to Metroid Prime, when I picked it up, I, I knew that this was a game that was for hardcore gamers. It's considered one of the greatest games of all time. It's on all the top 10 greatest GameCube game lists. It's most people's number one favorite GameCube game. So it's obviously a very important game in the GameCube library. So I had to pick it up right away and I was automatically blown away with 
everything about this game in terms of oh, yeah. the sound effects, the graphics, the music, just the HUD when you're when you play as Samus, how everything is so beautifully designed on the screen. You have your ammo in one side, the health on the other. It all fits super well. You feel I hate this term. It makes you feel like Samus when you're playing it. <laughs> I, you know, it's, this it makes, game makes you feel like Spider-Man. Metroid Prime makes you feel like <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> but even even to the the small detail, which actually freaked me out when I first played it, was when. If you're in a dark room and there's an explosion, you see Samus's face reflect back at yeah. you in the glass, which just yeah. that, that freaked me out when I was a kid. Well, I wasn't even a kid; I was an adult. That has got to be the the only game I've ever seen that does it yeah. that well, mm-hmm. and it just even does it in general. I can't think of any on the top of my head that that do it at all, but the, it yeah. does it so well. Yeah, and as a first-person shooter, which this game is not always described as, Nintendo likes to call it a first-person exploration game because when you think of a first-person space is. shooter, it is. Yeah, because it's not like Halo. It 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 looks no, like I think Halo. people think I think people think of it as a shooter mm-hmm. because of one Metroid's past, sure, uh, and and two because how it looks like Halo Mass Effect, mm-hmm. you know, kind of style, uh, which are definitely you know on the shooter ends of of the spectrum. But yeah, it's it's a hundred percent an adventure game yep. more than a shooter. Yeah, mo- most of the game is not combat. If you're playing the game the way it's supposed to be played, you should be doing a lot of scanning, a lot of exploring, a lot of backtracking, and only fighting when absolutely necessary because you want to conserve yep. ammo. Not as much as in a survival horror game like Resident Evil, but there is a little bit of a resource management aspect to the game where you yep. might be you might be low on health for minutes to an hour before you find an energy pack because you have to backtrack all the way back to a healing station or find a, a health pack or an ammo pack and it's it makes it difficult. So there's all of that and it does make it more of a, an exploration game than just a straight up space shooter where you're playing as Master Chief in Halo. <laughs> One thing I also liked about this game was just a little, no, another small attention to detail was whenever you had a high powered rocket that you would shoot, Samus's left arm would come and brace her right arm because it was overpowered in the recoil. Oh, yeah. You know what? I didn't even I didn't even think of that until just now. Just a but small right. thing that you, and you notice it, what like you said, when you, when how they made Metroid, sorry, when they made Samus's model in uh, Smash Bros, when she is charging up her cannon to shoot at one of the other players, yeah. she does brace her arm. So they did really think of that all the way through, even though the game was in development. Obviously, mm-hmm. Metroid Prime was developed by Retro Studios, whereas Smash Bros is, devel- is developed by HAL Laboratories. The two teams aren't working side by side at all times. I'm sure Nintendo had a lot of say in what could and couldn't be done in both games. But Still, they made both work fantastically in that they made this 3D Samus character for Smash, and then they made this 3D first-person Metroid Samus character for Metroid Prime. Now, I'd like to say that uh, you did bring up the fact that most lists for best GameCube games ever have Metroid Prime at number one. Or number two. And, yeah. Or number two. And so I did a little bit of research on this okay. this week. So I'd say there's about five games that are interchangeable for many people as the best GameCube games. Okay. That goes Prime, Melee, Wind Waker, Resident Evil 4, and Double Dash. Mm. Those are the, the five that you'll usually see as a number one. Yep. And so I took some time and I looked at the 20 best of, or I looked at 20 best of lists for the GameCube that were ranked. So you made a best of list of the best of lists. That's right. <laughs> That's getting meta. <laughs> so Double Dash made it once as the number one game on those 20 lists. Okay. Uh, Resident Evil 4 made it twice. Okay. Uh, Wind, Wind Waker made it twice. Uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee made it six times. Mm. And Metroid Prime made it nine times. Wow. So that's that's a, I think that's a very good indication of really just how good this game is. Of the quality. Yeah, no, 100%. From start to finish, it's, it's unbelievable how they recognized taking Super Metroid, which... 
there is there are several reasons why there is no Metroid game on N64, one of which was Nintendo approached another developer to make a Metroid game, and they refused because they didn't want to follow Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. That game yeah, is... that's from, right. I think I prefer Super Metroid to Metroid Prime, personally. Those are just two thoughts of in gamers. It's just like Zelda Link to the Past versus Zelda Ocarina of Time. There's two camps. I'm on the Super Metroid camp. But the yeah. way that they converted 2D Metroid games from just being this cohesive map of underground caverns and lava pits and forests and everything and then converting it into a cohesive 3d map where everything makes sense all the tunnels connect so beautifully and there's environments that drip and there's flames that burst out randomly it just it all fits (laughs) so perfectly that i would have to say this is probably pound for pound quality wise it's not my favorite gamecube game but i definitely see why it makes everyone's favorite list or at least nine out of 20 of them (laughs) and and it's funny that um that you say that too because it really is the I'd say one of the best ever two D to three D renders I've ever seen in a game, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of yeah, taking a classic game like like Metroid and, and bringing it to a three D environment. And the only two other games that I could say did an equal amount of amazing good job on this would be the Mario franchise and the Zelda franchise. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anything else that did this so well. Yeah, it was a huge worry for Metroid fans in the early 2000s when even though Mario did it well, Zelda did it well, there were several other franchises that didn't do it well. The conversion from yeah, the conversion from 2D to 3D was not great no, for everybody. Yeah. Mega Man had 3D games, Castlevania had 3D games, there were, there were 3D. So, look at Sonic, 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 uh, that was, you know, that's probably been Sonic's biggest downfall is that it can never get its 3D games right. And everyone assumed that Metroid would become a 3D mascot game as when metroid became the 3d space they thought it would be like zelda and mario where you can see samus on screen at all times so there was another layer of fear when they found out that it's going to be a first person shooter that's a completely different game type it's kind of like how resident evil went from a 3d over the shoulder shooter to a first person shooter in resident evil 7 ended up being a success but there you don't know especially Mm -hmm. you don't know with games what's going to happen and in this case it was a massive success it's the highest selling metroid game in the franchise across all platforms and i'd like to say that it is the seventh best-selling gamecube game of all Mm -hmm. time that's right yeah it sold 2.84 million units making it the seventh best-selling gamecube game it's wedged right between mario party 4 and mario party 7 so Mm, you know (laughs) (laughs) the two other uh action adventure uh, dark uh, (laughs) space games fans also bought mario party for i mean the a lot of people would have bought metroid and mario party who own gamecubes all right mike so we've talked a little bit about our history uh with metroid prime so why don't we hit the listeners with some facts on metroid prime sure let's do it okay cool so metroid prime was released on november 17th 2002 as we've said it was eight years after super metroid the developer was retro studios uh partnered with nintendo this game was published by nintendo uh platform this game is only on the nintendo gamecube and if you want to count it was also ported on the wii Uh, i honestly thought this game was confirmed for switch but apparently it's not Uh, i was wrong about that uh, this game rates in the high nines uh, to the tens, depending on the outlet you're looking at. Priced at about $35, which is pretty low for a game considered one of the best games of all time mm-hmm. by most uh, GameCube media outlet lists. We already talked about sales. Uh, it's sold in the 2.84 million range, making it the seventh best-selling GameCube game, right between Mario Party 4 and Mario Party 7. This is the highest-selling Metroid game in the series. The game also had several console bundles. I'll talk about those. I know some people like to know about the console bundles. Uh, In the U.S., it came with the Platinum GameCube, Controller, Metroid Prime, and a bonus disc, which also included a demo for Metroid Prime 2. 
There was also a PAL version of the console bundle, which includes the UK and Australia. It did not include that bonus disc, but the faceplate on the lid of the GameCube included an illustration of Samus and the Metroid Prime logo. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty sick, actually. I saw a picture of it. It looked really nice. And you never see those on eBay. So those are very rare. But yeah, Metroid Prime is an action-adventure, first-person exploration game. It's the fifth game in the Metroid franchise. Uh, it's the first 3D Metroid game. After four 2D Metroid games, not only is it a 3D game, but it's a first-person 3D game, which was a really big deal at the time for a lot of fans of, of Metroid. Most people thought that since this game was a 2D game, they figured that the obvious jump to 3D would mean a third-person adventure game, similar to, I don't know, like what Mario and Zelda did. But mm-hmm. Retro decided... Actually, Retro had a first-person space shooter game in development. We're going to talk about development in a little bit. Nintendo saw that and thought that it would look great with uh, with the Metroid skin. So that's why they ended up with a first-person aesthetic to the game. Right. But that was nerve-wracking for a lot of fans who thought this cannot work for Metroid because you need to be able to see your environment and this is not what we're used to. But obviously, it ended up being a huge success. So... Yeah. With Metroid Prime, they have the... There's a new plot, obviously. This is uh, taking place in the Metroid timeline it's right between the original metroid and metroid 2 return of samus metroid prime is a science fiction setting in which the player controls the bounty hunter samus Uh, the story follows samus as she battles space pirates and their biological experiment on planet talon 4 so i mean the story in metroid games for me has never been the focus of the game um mike i know you haven't played a ton of them but i'm never playing the game for the story the story is there but you can play through a metroid game and miss the story completely I mean, it's it's just like any kind of anything in like a space shooter genre. You know, often you don't really stay for the story. Uh, the story kind of keeps you in it, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's the gameplay that because because the game gameplay is like almost you know limitless in a sense, right? Because of these worlds that have been created, right? And so a lot of people like to play these games because they are so there's so much freedom, uh, and and Metroid really takes full advantage of that. You're kind of probably thinking about maybe something like a Mass Effect game where you are you put yourself in the story. Is that what you had in mind with that? Because there's games like Halo, which is very story heavy, and that's a space – that's considered a space sci-fi shooter. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking Mass Effect. But, I mean, Halo's, Halo is story heavy, but again, uh, people aren't – maybe i'm wrong with this but uh, but people aren't you know they're solely for the story they're 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 there for the gameplay like halo in my mind yeah like I, I never think of the story i think of of like halo 3's gameplay is what would keep me around you know and the multiplayer too like a game like metroid of never course. had multiplayer they tried to wedge multiplayer into a few metroid games and it never worked no it's it's a single player experience for sure it's it is like mass effect in that way it is a lone experience, and when this game was reviewed, that was one of the few negatives it had, was that it had no story. There is a story there, but it just takes... It means that you're going to be playing the game for probably a dozen hours more, just scanning the environment, looking at crashed ships and dead bodies and and laboratories, reading documents, and that's not exciting for a lot of people when they're playing a game that... At the time, like, this is the early 2000s, every kid on the street was playing Halo, so... Yeah. That might have been why Metroid Prime sold so well, to be honest, was because of Halo. I bet a lot of people thought this was going to be Nintendo's version of Halo without looking yeah. at any trailers, which is fair. Yeah. The character looks just like Master Chief. It's all shiny and, and there's aliens to shoot, but it's it's a lot more deep than that. And that might have been at Metroid as a franchise's peril. But yeah. I think that's what every game should should try and achieve, though. Like every, every kind of first-person, um, single-player-based game should should try and achieve this thing where the story takes a backseat and you can discover it if you want to. Mm-hmm. I like I like games like that. I think that's how games should be going forward. 
Um, so this is actually quite ahead of its time in that way, because a lot of games are like that today. Uh, you know, specifically thinking of the Dark Souls series. Yeah, most games actually, when you think back to the NES and the SNES days, were not story heavy because they couldn't be. The games didn't have voice actors. They didn't have writers making six-figure salaries. <laughs> so the games were actually, the story of the game, if you wanted it, was in the uh, instruction manual. Yeah, So right. a game like Metroid Prime is actually going back in time to an era that was probably starting to wane because we were getting games like Metal Gear Solid, we were getting games like Halo and games that had these big budgets, Resident Evil, they had scripts, they had actors behind them. And then when you go back to this game where you kind of have to do homework to know what's yeah. going on, it's taking it back a step that was starting to become obsolete with the internet and all these new other games and exciting TV shows that were out. You didn't, players didn't want to have to do that. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, I like what you're saying, how I like that the fact that these types of games still exist today with games like Dark Souls. Even a game like Doom that came out in 2016 mm -hmm. is very Metroid-like in that it's a sci-fi shooter, but it's also a bit of an exploration game where, yeah, there's no story to that game unless you go around and you listen to the audio files and you read the computer documents. There's a very deep story in Doom 2016, but or, <laughs> or you can play it as just a bullet hell shooter with metal music in the background. So... Yeah, I, I like it. That's, if the game, that's what I like. Me too. I like it if you have an option to it. Like me, I didn't. I didn't know what the heck was going on in Doom 2016. But that's one of my. If Pokemon Go didn't come out in 2016, that would have been my game of the year. Yeah. And I didn't do any of the audiophile stuff. I just had a blast playing the game, which is the same. The same thing with Metroid Prime for me. Okay, and joining us now we have Curtis, all the way from North York, Ontario. Curtis, how are you today? Not too bad. Uh, it's election day. Very interesting. Things, yeah, things are things are happening. Unfortunately, no one voted for Samus as a write-in ballot, which I I personally was really upset. Yeah, she. I think she could have done a lot to change that country. <laughs> hey, Curtis, nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I unfortunately have to quickly just run outside and do something loud and distracting for the next <laughs> ten to fifteen minutes. So you kids have fun without me. I'll be back in a few minutes. Of course, of course. But yeah, just a couple of questions uh, to, uh, before we get into it. Uh, did you ever own a GameCube as a kid? So I didn't personally own it, but my brother did. Okay. And so, you know, we lived together and yeah. we slept in the same room. So you had, access we had the GameCube game. in that room. Yeah. <laughs> Always and, had access to it. And what color was that GameCube? Uh, I believe it was black. Nice. Classic. Did your parents have the foresight to buy you and your brother a memory card for the GameCube? Uh, that was all taken care of by my brother. He's the, he, he, he saved up a lot of money just to buy that when he was like, 12 or something like that oh amazing well your brother alex is as we know alex uh he is a champ so just a shout out to alex on this podcast i mean i'm, I'm so happy that he was so financially responsible as uh <laughs> <laughs> in elementary school because it, it allowed it allowed me to you know play a bunch of really cool games and so one of those games obviously was metroid prime and uh so did you play this then growing up as a kid Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually got it from one of my friends from elementary school. He had lent it to me, and my brother and I fell in love with it. And uh, when he asked for it back, we were like, <laughs> we got to go buy it for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much stuff to explore in this game, and, and it, it really is a massive environment. And, and with that, uh, do you remember, you know, like any favorite levels or enemies? It's probably Thardis. Yeah. yeah he was this... Uh, big ice rock monster that would like create a, a snowstorm and you would have to switch to like a thermal visor to spot his like weak point 
and then uh, target that. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure I died like a bunch of times to him. <laughs> and it was probably one of the harder bosses. Um, at least for me, I'm not sure if like the general community finds him to be one of the harder bosses. I think honestly, but... most of the bosses were pretty hard in this game, especially as a kid playing this. Like it's oh, yeah. like watching gameplay again. Like I probably haven't played this since I first played it, and and watching gameplay again, I was like, damn, like I don't know how I did this as a kid. This is hard. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you answered the enemies question. So are there any levels that kind of you know stick out to you in your mind as being really fun? I really liked the Fazon mines because it was, mm. uh, you know, like looking into the space pirate base and their whole process of mining uh, the Fazon, which is like the, I don't know, some kind of, but. Yeah, some kind of thing. I don't know. Mining yeah, something. It was <laughs> some, plot, some plot device. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, it was, I think it was something that was like making the Metroids like super strong or something like that. And they're yeah. like using them as a weapon. So uh, I, I like just, you know, destroying space pirates, blowing them up like whole bunch of different ways that that was really cool i like that element but uh other other levels and worlds because they they really felt like different worlds but it was yes. all on the one planet um but uh so you would have like a a lava level uh magmore caverns yeah that was really cool i like the music there i think there was like some gregorian chant that's like still stuck in my head <laughs> to this day <laughs> Love that stuff and those little, uh, well, like magma worms that would just like yep. pop their heads out. Yep. Yeah. We, we Sadly, to... there wasn't a boss there. No. Yeah. I I remember that level, that area, but I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think there was any boss down there. What happened after that that area? Where did you go? <sighs> I I don't really re recall where it's <laughs> connected or something. You probably just get like a an item or something in there. But uh, there was also Fendrana Drifts. There was a really cool place. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like an ice world or ice area and uh that's where thardis is yeah. and some other really cool monsters like the shegoths and stuff that scared the hell out of me like the first time <laughs> i encountered them it is a pretty like like the the art style like for metroid is pretty like uh, almost horror-esque you know it kind of reminds me of resident evil yeah there's definitely some scary moments uh in the fendrana drifts uh space marine base they have like a lab and stuff there and uh you know you're going through the level or going through the base, and you see all these Metroids that are in containers. Mm -hmm. You know, you're clearing out the pirates and stuff, but you're not fighting any of these Metroids in those containers. And those, uh, you feel like something bad's going to happen, and it does. You know, the power <laughs> cuts out. They all escape. They're they're not only going for you, trying to suck your face, but like they're going for the pirates too, and like yeah. it's it's just gruesome. Their brains get eaten or something. <laughs> I don't really know what they do. It, it was pretty. It was pretty gruesome. Yeah, like for for like a Nintendo game, like it was uh, definitely not something that you would like associate Nintendo with. Yeah, it was. Uh, as, as a kid, I was definitely scared in some moments yeah. for sure. Did you play any other like Metroid games? You know, before or after this as well? No, it was actually my my first introduction to. Uh, Samus and the Metroid series. To answer after this, I definitely played the other Metroid Prime series, but uh, right. then, you know, like she also became my favorite character in Super Smash Brothers. Of course. Because of all this. And <laughs> uh, I mean, like, who doesn't like having a giant energy beam you can blast from afar and camp? <laughs> yeah, like for, for me, like as a kid, like I, I didn't know about 
uh, Samus and like and Metroid really other than Smash. Like it, it was the same with a like, Captain Falcon, right? Like I I didn't I hadn't played F Zero games yet. I just knew the F Zero GX on the GameCube, by the way, is also. Uh, an amazing game. The story is completely nonsensical. But... <laughs> <laughs> we, well, we'll have to have you on uh, back for that game because that is one of my favorite games for sure. I love F-Zero. All the F-Zeros are, are pretty good, but the GX is really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still haven't unlocked all the cars. <laughs> it's so hard. It's a really hard game. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculously hard. I actually I, I booted it up like not too long ago and I was able to unlock another one recently. <laughs> It took me like a day, not of like nonstop retrying a level. Every year, you unlock someone new. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other any other memories you want to share with uh, uh, with everyone about Metroid? Anything that really sticks out to you? Yeah. So there's a couple of really cool elements that I I always like compare like newer games to. Mm-hmm. And one of those is the, like, 3D map. I loved the 3D map and yeah. just, like, how well it worked. And the elements of wanting to go back to certain rooms and, you know, finding everything that you can in that room once you get some extra upgrades that, you know, turns a, a really plain room into something a lot more exciting because yeah. other parts of that same room get unlocked and... You know, if you have this like awesome 3D map, then you can like be like, huh, I wonder what's up there. And then it kind of helps you find extra, you know, missing goodies and such. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it was even a female character for yeah. like almost the whole game. <laughs> Until the ending, I guess. Yeah, the, the ending. And then there's if you're close to a wall and you would just shoot your blaster off, then, like, you could see in, like, the a reflection of your yeah. visor. Yeah, like, the eyes, and, like, it, it, it looked kind of feminine, but you, you don't really know. That freaked me out as a kid, seeing that. Yeah, that was really freaky for me. It, that, was a, that was a cool little thing that they did. And, and, I mean, there wasn't really much story to it, but, I mean, the world building was great, yeah. since you can scan all kinds of different creatures, and, you know, you get this story told to you through these scans uh, and nothing is really dictated to you through dialogue at all yeah and that's kind of like almost like a precursor to like the dark Souls series and things like yeah, that. yeah exactly know? where it's it's everything's kind of through item descriptions and it's you really make the story is really what you make of it it's really how much time do i want to put into to scanning these things Mm-hmm. which you know is definitely an obsession <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't not scan it <laughs> it changes the color after the scan like you need to make all of them like yeah. blue or whatever it was <laughs> so the loading screens mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember but like there were none well, which yeah. is crazy yeah there's there were no like it, everything seemed to render i think everything basically got rendered when you went into your save like the save pod or like the healing pod Actually, they they did other ways too. Like they hit it through, um, when you shoot a door. Sometimes you'd be like, "Oh, why isn't this door opening immediately?" Mm-hmm. And it would, you, you know, you like you use the right beam to like open it. Oh yeah. And it turns uh like the the darker color once you hit it. Yeah. But then sometimes it doesn't open, and you're like, "Oh, come on, come on!" You're just like walking <laughs> back and forth into it, and then it just suddenly opens. That was actually a hidden loading screen. 
and I thought that was super neat. That's really uh, cool. I didn't as know As are that. the elevators. Yes. The, yeah, the, I mean, elevators are usually like, that's kind of like a standard gaming mechanic. Yeah. Uh, but I did not know about the, the door thing. That's that's like, like now that now that I think about it, it makes sense. But I, I, know, I definitely did not clue into that, uh, playing that as a kid. Yeah, there's, there's so many cool things about that game. Yeah, no, honestly. Well, uh, this has been great, Curtis. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your insight and memories of uh, Metroid Prime. Anytime, man. Uh, this is really fun to do, and thanks for talking to me about it. It brings back some good memories. So Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you on the F-Zero GX uh, episode. Oh, yeah, that one I would love to do. Awesome. <laughs> Take care, Curtis. See ya. Oh, I missed him. Crap. All right. Well, bye, Curtis. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, really appreciate you taking over for me while I was gone. <laughs> and just going back to what you said about how the game doesn't hold your hand, mm-hmm. Metroid is one of the few games where there's no option for a tutorial level. The game just sort of starts. Yeah. There's a fantastic opening cutscene, which actually took a year to develop. But, and that the opening of the game is you start off with all of your power ups, you're, you're exploring this space pirate ship. And you have everything you need. You're blasting through enemies like no problem. And then there's a big crash. You're crash landed and you lose all of your power ups. And part of the game is you getting back all of your power ups, your spin jump, your double jump boots, your morph ball, your rockets, grapple beam, just like everything from old Metroid games. All those items are back. But the game doesn't hold your hand with it teaches you through gameplay how to play the game, which is a very lost it's a very huge lost art in video game development that yes. just doesn't exist very often anymore. Unless it's, for some reason, it's that idea is tied to games that are ridiculously hard, like Dark Souls. And I hate to, I hate to, I hate to always compare games to Dark <laughs> Souls, but it seems like games that don't have tutorial levels are instantly the hardest games with difficulty spikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I love the fact that they kind of have it so you do have everything at the beginning and then you mm-hmm. lose everything. And like the idea is to try and get, get your skills back. Skill trees are always a tough thing in, in games. And yeah. And you know we could we could talk about that for hours and, and how to properly do skill trees and and if you should even have skill trees, mm-hmm. but uh, I think Metroid does it really well in that sense. You know, it gives you a taste of what you can have. It's a mm-hmm. it's actually uh, Deus Ex does almost the, the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game starts out and you're blasting through space pirates, no problem. The enemies aren't even that difficult. But then when you have all your weapons taken away and you just have your one your one rocket launcher left and no armor, no health all of a sudden you feel weak and you need to relearn. You need to learn how to be smart with your ammo and your health. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the game, when you're fighting little alien creatures on the planet, they're actually very difficult to fight. And then you go and you find a little bit more armor, a little bit better weapons, and then you go back and you just blast right through those enemies when you come back later. And that's part of the fun of Metroid games, which is just because there's a lot of backtracking in you. So you're going to be seeing a lot of the same enemies twice. And every time you see them, they just get a little bit easier, which is so yeah. neat. Yes, it is. Actually, I guess this is a good time to talk about some of the enemies. Uh, we talked about Metroid, the Metroids a bit. Um, but um, uh, I think Parasite Queen has got to be one of the best ever first bosses in a game. Yeah. We're like, damn, this is how this game is going to be. All right, I'm ready for this. Yeah, yeah no, just the design of the, the Parasite Queen, the rumble and the just the, the zoom in on her when she's like screaming or whatever roaring growling yeah whatever it is and then the for those that don't know the parasite queen appears in the frigate orphean stage in brawl so that enemy appears in a metroid stage in smash bros now so it's become an iconic boss just like ridley yeah and the metroid uh, the metroid themselves that's a fantastic opening boss fight it's really hard to make I feel like the first boss fight, you almost remember in every video game, the first boss fight and the last one. Yeah. Those two have to be the strongest. 
And so the last boss, and Ridley is not the last boss in this game, correct? No, it's no. Um, Metroid Prime. Yeah, it is literally Metroid Prime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the name of the boss, which is really cool. How many games have that where the name of the boss is the title of the game? Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. true. Yeah, because because uh, yeah, I always I never I never like knew what Metroid Prime like like was at first. I was like, what like what is this? And I, I thought know, it was it's, just it's, like Metroid Deluxe. Like you know, yeah, I, was, like, yeah. I just thought it meant oh, it's the new Metroid. Okay, cool. Because no. it's like the first. It's like the first mm-hmm. like parasite and the basically. best one. Yeah, and the best one. Yeah. Um, I also forgot. I'm just watching some gameplay to nice. uh, to get back into it. I forgot there's there's a, quite a few areas where you have to go super monkey ball mode. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, ball, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you have to go on the little like little areas. You have to make sure that you don't fall off. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and eventually you get you get a magnetic morph ball, so you can stick yeah. to walls easier and you don't fall. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is very monkey. I didn't notice that before. It is like monkey ball. But there's other also pretty. The... Mm. Oh yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say there's just a bunch of other bosses. Of course, Ridley makes an appearance. Meta Ridley in this game. Yes, and that's that's right before Metroid Prime, correct? Yeah, they like to. Most Metroid games have a boss one and then a boss after that. Yes. So yeah, Meta it goes Meta Ridley and then you fight Metroid Prime and Metroid yes. Prime. Going back to that boss fight really quick, that's got to be one of the hardest boss fights I've ever had to do in my entire life. I, I, I watched footage stressful. and I don't remember I don't remember beating it, so maybe I didn't beat this game. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I did, uh, but uh, maybe I just beat Ridley, who knows? <laughs> maybe. I was thinking that, I because I played this game six years ago at this point, and I thought Ridley was the last boss fight. I forgot that you've, because I remember it being terrifying. It's a very terrifying yeah. fight, just you're fighting this first person giant alien it's not Ridley. It's a, it's a giant Metroid. But I think it probably took me close to 30 tries, maybe two weeks to beat. Like I was wow. playing other games because I just couldn't. I don't typically rage quit, but that game brought me close. So you 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 mentioned you know that that might be the closest to rage quitting, and we've already given a lot of praise to Metroid. But mm-hmm. are there any detractors from this game that you can think of? Controls for sure, and at the time, this was, I think, yeah, this would have been my first Metroid game to play, so for me, one of the reasons that, like I said, how this game is great, that there's no handholdy, I found that difficult at first, mm-hmm. because I just didn't know where to, there's a lot of points in this game where I had no idea what to do, no idea where to go, I spent a lot of my time with this game with my laptop next to me looking up a playthrough because I didn't know, I was going through the lava pits again, I was going through the ice levels again, I was fighting the same enemies again, and, it, and that does get frustrating after a while, but that's just because I was... Getting back into video games, I was learning something new, and learning is always a tough stage, a tough phase when you you know you're getting used to a new type of game. When I'm used to playing Mario Kart and Mario Party <laughs> games that don't require anything other than just press A, so but now I can go back to Metroid Prime and I know what to do, and I can I could it made it easier to go back to 2D Metroid games because it's actually a regression in a way. They're easier yeah. because there's a one plane. Um, those were the biggest issues for me. Just. The fact that it didn't help me out enough, but again, now that now that's a part of the game that I love. The number one thing is always the controls, um, which you get used to, like mm-hmm. any game. But but they are outdated, uh, so like yes. to play it again in twenty twenty, it feels weird. And I w- I I wish I hope that this game does get re released on Switch. It was supposed to. It literally was basically so. confirmed. Yeah, and then okay. nothing happened. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with that, but it would be nice if they updated the controls a little bit to make it a little more modern. But I guess for for me, I think uh, I always found the HUD a little weird, and I really? I still I still find it a bit too cluttered. Yeah, I think this wouldn't fly present day. Hmm. It's definitely cool looking back on it, but I remember as a kid I didn't like it. Yeah, at the time it was cool because it you know this is pre 
Marvel Avengers when everybody wanted to be Iron Man with the mask on your <laughs> yeah. face and Terminator and seeing all the stats on your vision. And that was that was like a cool thing in the 2000s was to feel like you're a robot and you're one with a machine. To feel like you're Spider-Man. To make you feel – Metroid Prime makes you feel like you're Spider-Man. <laughs> no, now I think a clean minimalist HUD is what you need to do with a Metroid game. And maybe with a widescreen – like if they put out Metroid Prime on Switch, they make it widescreen, 1080p. It might look better. But when it's when mm-hmm. you're on a, a, a CRT TV, I don't know what the – dimensions of that would be but it, it does look i get what you're saying it does look a little bit cluttered you have everything on there but i i think it looks great i i i loved the the hud one thing i got to give them credit for is the fact that they don't have the gamecube controller layout on the screen which is oh god that's the worst <laughs> but so many games especially like at the very beginning of the gamecube so many games had that controller layout yeah there's a lot of them on the screen there's a lot that that would they wouldn't necessarily always be on the screen but they it would pop up from time to time i I remember that on the wii with the twilight princess Mm -hmm. on wii that the they had the wii mote on the screen at all times i believe that's the only game i can really i can't think of any gamecube games Uh, a lot of third-party games uh okay and wind waker had it on certain points but it wasn't always Mm -hmm. uh just like you know it would just come up so like sometimes uh, but okay. Metroid never you'd never have the GameCube controller come up, which I thought was really cool. Well, that would have gone against that would have gone against their lack of tutorial and handholdiness. That yeah. would have been really strange if they just omit the tutorial level, but they have the GameCube controller <laughs> on the HUD at all times. That would have you a bit of a hypocrite there. Retro Studios. Speaking of Retro Studios. Yeah, all right. Let's talk about Retro Studios. Obviously, Retro Studios, we mentioned earlier, developed Metroid Prime. They also developed Metroid Prime 2 as well as uh, Metroid Prime 3, so the whole trilogy. Fans of Nintendo may also know them for the Donkey Kong Country Returns series, uh, Tropical Freeze on Wii U. They also made Mario Kart 7 on 3DS, which in my opinion is a very underrated Mario Kart game. (laughs) I -hmm. absolutely adore Mario Kart 7. Uh, And they're currently developing Metroid Prime 4. So they have a little bit of a history with Nintendo, obviously. They're uh, a subsidiary of Nintendo, so they'd be considered second party, not first party or third. They were created in 1998, so four years before Metroid Prime uh, came out. Um, It was an alliance between Nintendo and a company called Iguana Entertainment. Uh, The founder, Jeff, I'm going to ruin this name, Spangenberg. Spangenberg? I'm I'm not even going to... That's enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) So they had a bunch of games in development in the late 90s, early 2000s, and three of those games were canceled after Nintendo saw their space shooter game that they had been working on. Uh, that's what they, they wanted to use that engine for a Metroid game as they transitioned Metroid into the third, the 3d realm. So after that retro just became basically the Metroid studio for Nintendo mm. and developers on the retro team have uh, since disbanded. Most of the original developers are gone now. I believe they might be, they might have a few left, but a lot of the retros, uh, retro studios, um, designers went to work on halo games after this makes sense but yeah that, that's pretty much what the most i i don't know a ton about retro studios just basically the games that they work on and that they're a very well-known studio for nintendo fans especially in the gamecube generation when gamecube really needed a game like this or sorry a game studio like this after they lost companies like rare but yeah i guess so with retro studios um when they were developing the space game that they were doing miyamoto saw it uh, as mm-hmm. as he does, <laughs> you know, just walking into <laughs> Austin. I think that's where they're yeah. headquartered. Oh yeah, he's he loves Austin, Texas. Miyamoto's a huge cowboy, <laughs> and uh, uh, and he uh, he like he really liked it. Uh, and obviously, like you said, that's that's kind of how they got their start on it. But what's interesting is that they w- started working on Metroid Prime, and about I think it, it's like six months uh, in, 
Miyamoto actually didn't want it to be third person anymore. He wanted it to be first person. So they had to scrap mm-hmm. a ton of work, um, you know, and and the deadline was going to be, yeah, like November 2002. And I think this was, takes us to like summer of or like uh, winter of uh, 2000 at this point. So mm-hmm. it's uh, getting a tight deadline here. <laughs> yep. And in that last nine months, yeah, the last nine months of development, I think that was, that's a long time to be crunching. <laughs> like That's a long crunch time. Usually crunch time for video games these days, it, I could be wrong, but it feels like it's usually when you hear about it, it's two months, three months, like nine yeah, this months was of nine crunching. Months, 80 to 100 80, hours. Yeah. 80 to 100 hours a week yeah. of just working on Metroid. And it took them the first six months to develop the first level, which I, I think I said earlier. Yeah. I might have said a year, but it's uh, six months. And then it took them less than a year to do the rest of the game, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah, so it took them amazing. less than 18 months to develop the whole game start to finish. So there's a reason why Metroid was not on the N64. Obviously, we had Metroid on SNES, NES, and then we skipped a generation. They just couldn't come up with any original ideas, according to an interview, interview with Miyamoto. And Nintendo did approach another company to make a Metroid game in the 90s. They only approached a few, but the main reason they were declined was because no one wanted to follow Super Metroid. <laughs> also, the one of the creators of the original Metroid, Gunpei Yokoi, who we, we mentioned earlier on, he died during the N64 generation suddenly in mm. a car accident, a sudden car accident. And that was another reason why they didn't want to make another Metroid game, was just out of honor and respect for him. I think sure. they wanted to take a bit of a break from the franchise, so... It, it, that could be true. Uh, I don't know. If it, I hope it's not just an excuse, but sadly that was something that happened during the N64 generation that had to be taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. Gunpei Yokoi also developed the D-pad. Oh, so, very cool. Yeah, yeah he, he. I think he created the, the D-pad that you know of on the Game Boy, and uh, they have a patent on that. That's why a lot of controllers don't have the same D-pad, is because no one, no one really owns it, except Nintendo owns their cross one, but... That's why Sony PlayStation has the buttons for the D-pad instead. Ah, but, very interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. But before we uh, before we read the back of the case for this game, Mike, I want to talk to you about a little game that came out on the same day as Metroid Prime. A little game called Metroid Fusion. Mm-hmm. That's right. On the same day, Nintendo released another Metroid game called Metroid Fusion, which was on the Game Boy Advance. And you can hook up your Metroid Fusion game with your Game Boy Advance player, which of course no one owned, <laughs> to unlock special content in Metroid Prime. Uh, so if the player completes Metroid Prime, uh, Samus's fusion suit can be unlocked. Uh, if the player completes Metroid Fusion, depending on the game version, an emulated version of the NES port for Metroid can be unlocked as well. Yes. So that's pretty neat. You can actually play the original NES game on your Game Boy Advance. Yeah, I know. I actually know a few people who 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 did that, who had the Game Boy Advance player to do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't play Crystal Chronicles, but uh... well, no, no. <laughs> they didn't have. They needed four Game Boy Advances to do that. Um, there's also a bonus. Uh, if you link uh, Metroid Zero Mission, the entire fusion gallery of post-ending pictures is unlocked in Zero Mission, including the extra-ending images from the Japanese version of Fusion, which chronicles Samus's early years, as well as some additional concept art. So if you mm, high school beat... Samus, hey, high school Samus, grade school Samus, <laughs> uh, concept art. Hey, I don't know, like if that's a th- that's cool, I guess, but it's not enough for me to want to buy both games. And no, both no, 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 and... no, absolutely. Yeah, they were also trying to, apparently, this is a fun fact, Super Metroid was supposed to be included in the, the Game Boy Advance GameCube link as well, mm. but Nintendo does not or didn't have the rights to the emulator that it ran on, so they couldn't put it on. <laughs> oh, weird. Video game rights, man. It's hard. Yeah, that's probably enough conversation of our memories and a little bit of facts on Metroid Prime. Shall I read the back of the case, Mike, or did you have anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I... A little bit of spoiler, but this game has been out for 18 years, so I don't care. Um, (laughs) The ending is very cool. 
seeing mm-hmm. the Metroid kind of uh, shaped together as Dark Samus. Yep. Uh, a little cliffhanger, uh, so to speak. So post credit scene, as we like to call it. Yeah, post credit scene. Yeah. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I always thought that was actually one of the coolest uh, post credit scenes in uh, in video game history. Yeah, it could be up there. It was a neat post-credit scene actually while we're talking about endings metroid games are very different in that with how we mentioned that there's a percentage of completion so the amount of uh, objects that you scan and how much of the map you discover uh you have to uncover 100 percent of the map to get the full ending but you can beat the game with obviously less than 100 percent. you can beat the game with 50 percent or 85 percent or whatever percent makes you happy <laughs> you can also beat the game with the lowest percentage you absolutely want but if you yeah. want to get the full ending you want to get 100 percent. so all endings, when you beat the game, there's four different endings. All four show Samus standing on her gunship, looking at the destroyed artifact temple with her helmet removed. Spoilers, Samus is a woman. <gasps> Ooh. Um, also, back on the Impact Crater, Dark Samus is born from Metroid Prime's remains, which is, uh, Mike, what you mentioned being one of the best post-credit ending video mm-hmm. games of all time. Just as reference, if you beat the NES game, you have to beat it, I think, with 100% to see Samus take off her mask. I can't remember now, though. But you have to beat it with a pretty, pretty high percentage to see... The full reveal that Samus is not a man. Yeah. I think I beat this game back when I played it with 61% or something. It was very low. Yeah. And I thought I did a lot, too. You've, like, this game is big. That's another thing we should say. Lots to unlock, lots to see. Yep. Yep. All right, Victor, hit us with that jingle, please. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. below the surface. Something sinister lurks in the depths of planet Talon 4. Interstellar bounty hunter Samus Aran is the only one who can destroy this evil, but first it must be found. And the evil is... We'll never the know. evil is you. <laughs> Alright, so let's talk a little bit about the history of Metroid, where the franchise began, and, and how it's just evolved into this 3D series that we know mm-hmm. it by. So... For those of you that don't know that are somehow listening to this nintendo theme podcast, is uh, Metroid is a Nintendo-owned and developed sci-fi franchise. It was created by Satoru uh, Oko... I'm going to do some Japanese names here, so please <laughs> go easy on me. Satoru Ukada, Gunpei Yokoi, Hiroji Kiyotaki, and Yoshio Katom... Skamoto. Ooh, does he have Ska nice. in his name? That's good. He's a Ska, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a Mighty Mighty Boston's <laughs> fan. So the hero of the story is, of course, we've talked all about Samus Aran. Uh, not not Metroid. Metroid is not the main character in this I game. think a lot so of people think like that, which I always love. Yeah. I know. That's why I have to say it right now. Like, like Link is not Zelda. It's the same idea. Uh, she's traveling around space in her little spaceship, a very cool mm-hmm. ship. She's fighting aliens, also known as space pirates who are trying to harness the powers of these space jellyfish known as Metroids. So the Metroids are those little jellyfish things with teeth that you see on a lot of the box art for Metroid games. And that's what those are. Samus is the bounty hunter with the orange, kind of like a Master Chief character. The game was released, very first Metroid game was released on August 6th, 1986 in Japan on the Famicom Disk System, which was an attachment for the NES, the Famicom in Japan. And then it was released in August 1987 in North America on the NES. The main two differences between the Japanese version uh, and the North American version was on the Japanese version, you could actually save your game, whereas the North American version, you had to use passwords, which was a very common thing in video games all the way up until the Game Boy Advance. Really? Uh, 
Yeah. You remember that, though, like in old games, how they... No. Really? You didn't have, like, any Game Boy Advance or Game Boy Color games that you couldn't actually save? You had to use, like, letters and numbers or symbols? I know some of the SpongeBob games did that I'm, on Game I'm, Boy I'm, Advance. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to recall. Uh, I don't I don't remember any, but I'm sure that I did experience it. Yeah. Uh, like, so you're saying the SpongeBob ones would have been some... Are there any others that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, most games on, or a lot of just licensed games, to be honest. Like, I remember playing Separation Anxiety on SNES when I was young was mm. another game that you had to use passwords to get to certain levels. So whenever you started up the game, it was always the beginning. You couldn't save. So you would start up the game, and then you'd have to enter in the password laboratory. Oh. And, and then it would take you yeah. to the last level of the game. Yeah, and, there is a game yeah. that I played. Oh, my God. I I. I it's it's escaping my memory like what that game was but i do remember that being a thing i wonder why that was do you think because they couldn't they didn't have the memory to 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 like to figure out where your start point was no games game cartridges specifically had the ones that you could save had batteries in them to hold the saves right and that's why games like pokemon uh, are a lot of them are worthless these days or you have to get them repaired because the battery inside the cartridge which arguably lasts a very long time not all of them do because they have some of the batteries are worse than others so a lot of saves in pokemon games red and blue and yellow being the original pokemon games are dead so those games you have to start over every time because the battery died interesting so metroid was one of those cartridges that didn't have a battery in it like zelda was one of the first nes games i believe to have it mm. And one of the few, most NES games did not have save features, which is why Mario 3, which is most people's, especially NES owners, that's most people's favorite Mario game of all time. Yeah. Uh, you can't save in that game either. You can't save in any of the original Mario Bros. games, but they introduced elements such as the warp pipes and keys to sort of travel to different parts of the map without having to play the game every time all the way through. Huh. Yeah. So that's why a lot of those early NES games, people got so good at beating within 20 minutes uh, because they just played them over and over again. You wouldn't start off where you left off last time. You had to start again or write down, as I did with a lot of my Super NES games, I would write down the passwords to get to levels because I didn't have the internet to look those things yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing. Oh my God, I wish I could remember what the game that was, but I, I did the same thing. I remember I had a little book mm -hmm. um, that I had like on trips and stuff. Yeah, obviously I would do other things with it, but I remember writing down like the passwords for those levels. Yeah, that's so funny. That's that's you unlocked a part of my brain that was being dormant for twenty years. <laughs> that's what we're here for. I know a lot of kids, like a lot of if you're a younger listener listening to this podcast, that's a thing that we had to deal with. Like autosave is still a relatively new concept in video games. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'd say like like just continuous autosaving is is very new. Yeah, you can almost take out a video game. As you're playing it, like let's say I'm playing Last of Us 2, I could turn off the console, take the disc out, take it to your house, come back and be, and then come back to my house, put the game back in and be right back where I was because it saves every th three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's but, true. Yeah. But on, on, if you were playing Metroid on NES in 1987, you had to use passwords to, to play the game, it, unless you wanted to beat it all in one sitting, which would have been one heck of an undertaking. <laughs> um, but it, this was a new concept for a video game in the 80s. We get a lot of what are called Metroidvania games now, which we'll talk about that genre yes. a little bit in a second. Yeah. But this concept was invented by combining the platforming elements of Mario Bros. with the non-linear elements of a game like Legend of Zelda. To, of course, the plot of Ridley Scott's famous 1979 horror film Alien. 
Yeah, honestly, it's basically Alien. (laughs) Yeah, it's very similar. Even like you have with Ridley Scott being the director of Alien, the main bad guy in Metroid is Ridley, is the name of the alien. Yes. That you fight at the very end of the game. So it's very heavy handed on the the inspirations. So yeah, that's that's Metroid in a nutshell. There's currently 15 games in the, the whole franchise. We're currently, as of recording this podcast, we're waiting Metroid Prime 4 on Switch. There are eight mainline games, three spinoff games, and two remakes across 11 Nintendo systems. Damn. And, yeah. and some, you know, some pretty massive gaps, too, mm-hmm. uh, between releases. Uh, it seems like Metroid basically gets released in spurts, almost, uh, you know, with... Um, Obviously, we had an eight-year gap, you said earlier, Neil, between uh, Samus Returns, or no, sorry, Metroid, no, Super Super Metroid. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Metroid Prime. And then we get Metroid Prime, Metroid Prime Echoes, and then Metroid Prime Corruption, all coming out within about five years of each other. And Metroid Other M on Wii, and there was Metroid Fusion, Metroid Zero Mission on GBA yeah. as well. So all within about, I didn't do my research on those games, but I would say within about eight years, we had seven metroid titles yeah yeah it's so. like a eight year span of seven metroid titles and then before eight year span before that of none mm-hmm. and then not now another uh i guess probably about 12 year span of very little there's federation force i was gonna say mike please do not leave out the classic 3ds <laughs> cult classic metroid prime federation I, I remember when that got announced and oh. because people people thought that it was a metroid it was it was not necessarily Metroid Prime Four, but but a, a obviously a mainline Metroid uh, game, mm-hmm. and um, people were getting hyped, and I think there's a lot of like people leaking that Metroid was going to be announced beforehand, and that was at E3, was it not, Neil? Yes, yeah. It was, an e- it was one of the E3s where the the Wii U was carping for air, <laughs> 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 and they were really leaning into the. <laughs> Jesus. And they were really leaning into their 3DS line. Yeah, and I think that's when they announced. Uh, what else was the? It was another 3DS game in there that they announced. I think it was when they came out with that Mario Party game that looked really cool. It was the collection of the 100 best mini games. Yeah, that they put on 3DS and yeah, not on 3DS. Uh, and also not online. Right, not online, and yeah, it was yeah, it should have been on Wii U and then definitely on Switch. Yeah, but then they also announced a, a Metroid game, which was being rumored. There was a rumored Metroid yes. something be, coming out on 3DS, and I think a lot of people were thinking it might be a Metroid Prime port to 3DS, which would have been neat. Mm-hmm. Because it has that one, the 3DS has that one joystick, which the GameCube had. It would have been different, but it, it might have worked. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up being this weird spinoff game that I think sold probably two copies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we don't talk about that game. But yeah, we talk about the main eight-line games. Actually, the Metroid as a franchise, when you when you talk about Metroid to people, it's mainly three games. It's the yep. original, it's Super Metroid, and it's Metroid Prime. Yep. And yeah. then Super Smash Bros. And Metroid Prime often gets... Uh, Put in with echoes. I see a lot of lists that will. The trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, I guess because corruption is not on GameCube, nope. so a lot of uh, a lot of people will kind of lump uh, echoes with uh, Prime One, uh, mm-hmm. just because uh, they're both GameCube games. They came out, uh, you know, within a few years of each other, and mm-hmm. it's a you know very much a direct sequel. Yeah. Uh, so the, I often see echoes getting lumped in with um, with Prime, and then mm-hmm. corruption usually is kind of like on the side it's still a, a, a good game but you don't hear of it as much right no yeah corruption didn't sell super well because hardcore nintendo fans didn't buy wii so 
Uh, I can actually talk a little bit about the sales of the Metroid franchise if you want, sure. just real, real quick, just yeah. to kind of put it into perspective how, at least we're going to talk about the Metroid sales right now. So as a trilogy, since everyone talks about the Metroid Prime trilogy, just to put it in, into perspective, Metroid Prime 1, which we're talking about today, sold 2.84 million copies. Mm -hmm. So pretty good. It's the most successful Metroid game in, in the series. Echoes sold less than half that with 1.1 million. That's, you know, not yeah. bad. It's not great. Corruption, which was on a console, the Wii, selling over 100 million copies of, of the Wii, sold 1.41 million copies of Corruption. So it's about a 1% attach rate on Wii, which is terrible for yeah. a game that's supposed to be a big Mainline, Nintendo franchise. Yeah. yeah. So And then the Trilogy, which was released on Wii, the Metroid Prime Trilogy, sold 0 0.64 million copies. So 640,000 yeah, copies, making... The trilogy selling, including the trilogy on Wii. So if you count all the game sales together, it's 5.99 million copies. So let's call it 6 million for argument's sake. Mm -hmm. That's not great. And then the entire series itself uh, has, how much is that uh, sold, I guess? All the Metroid games combined, yeah. uh, let's see, 18.5 million units okay. across 15 games. So I did the math. That's about 1.23 million copies a game. Yeah. So 18 million. So that's that's 12 million were, were sold before the GameCube. Yes. Yeah. But that's still 1.2 million a game on average. And I looked up a couple other well-known uh, trilogies on exclusive Ooh. hardware. Okay. Just to, just to put it into perspective. So yeah. again, Metroid Prime, one of the greatest tril Nintendo trilogies supposedly of all time, has sold 6 million units. So the Uncharted trilogy, on which is a Sony uh, franchise, plus the collection, I included both, uh, sold 22 million copies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So almost four times as much. <laughs> we have the Halo trilogy, which is a Microsoft exclusive, 28 million copies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a little less like, like no. that's harder to compare because obviously if you're okay, buying let me, an let Xbox, me hit you with, Let me hit Halo. you with one that's a little more easier to compare. Okay. Mario Bros. on NES. Oh, it's got to be like, uh, it's got to be at least 60 million. 65.46 oh, million copies. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's not bad. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm surprised how close I got to... Uh... Oh, no, yeah, your guess was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, you could you could check my notes. Yeah, I'm looking at but... it right now. <laughs> yeah, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so everyone... Not everyone, but there's a vocal minority, I guess, of people who keep begging for Metroid trilogies and Metroid sequels and all this, but it's no wonder why we get such large gaps between games is because they don't sell. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a tough they review thing. very well. They yeah. do review traditionally very well. It's a it's a tough thing, right? Because mm -hmm. it's it's you know with that argument, you're almost you're almost going on the EA argument here, where it's like, uh, it's like, well, people don't buy FIFA for the Switch, so I'm mm -hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna put out uh, Need for Speed for Switch, or I'm gonna revoke our licensor. So because the thing is with with Metroid and with Nintendo in general. Is that if you make good games, people will buy them, no matter what. Yeah. You might not get the the massive sales that you're hoping for sometimes, but at the end of the day, good games always sell well on Nintendo systems, even Nintendo systems that don't do that well. Mm -hmm. As we've seen with Metroid, the whole franchise has kind of gone downhill in terms of of how well they did in quality? critically, yeah, quality wise, mm. which. Obviously, yeah. that you know the the numbers also go down with that, and mm -hmm. I, I think Nintendo is is one of those unique cases where if you actually like make worse games, people will stop buying them. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> where like uh, PlayStation and Xbox, really, you can make a ton of bad games, and and it'll take a long time 
for someone to stop buying Halo for mm-hmm. Xbox. You know what I mean? Sure. That's why I'm kind of saying that the the Halo trilogy wasn't a great comparison because it's it's an it's it's an inflated number. It's it is, but I mean, I also picked if if you don't want me to t- pick Halo, the Gears of War trilogy yeah. on Xbox. No, that's a better one. The fourteen million. Fourteen million. Yeah, that's a better. Yeah. Sure, that's a better comparison. So Gears of War on, on Microsoft is an Xbox exclusive, 14 million. So you're still looking at two and a half times better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, there, there's no doubt that that uh, that Metroid has not been a good seller. And I liken it to Pikmin as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's a similar thing where Pikmin, I guess you could argue as well, has kind of gone downhill in terms of the game, like gameplay. There hasn't been a lot of love for the franchise. And then no. you have something like Hey Pikmin, you know, mm-hmm. which is like the Federation force of Pikmin. Yeah. Yes. And when you do the lackluster titles like that, fans obviously, you know, hardcore fans aren't really going to respond well and you're not going to get casuals. And so when Nintendo puts out uh, titles like that, I don't really understand. I don't get the like the why there mm-hmm. because it, it's the same thing with EA. It's almost like, oh, we're just, you know, we're just putting dipping our feet in. We're just checking out the waters. It's like, well, the it's not going to be good because you're not going to be able to, to gather. You're not going to be able to gather the correct data. Because you're yeah. not looking for the correct data here, you're you're just kind of throwing something out and hoping it'll stick. Yeah, I, just to let's just isolate it and look at it at the GameCube level. Just by look, if I was looking at sales for the games, I would be really confused, at, and I would have to question how many people played Metroid Prime all the way through, mm-hmm. because it sold 2.84 million units, right? Which is a good amount for a console that sold 22 million units. Yeah, it's a really good amount. Yeah, 10% attach rate is decent. Yeah. And then you sell, you put Echoes out only a few years later. We're going to talk about Metroid Prime 2 later, but it sold 1.1 million copies, less than half. Yeah. And coming out relatively soon after Metroid Prime. So at that point, you must have had some people on Nintendo say, okay, Metroid Prime sold really well, but I don't think people either liked it as much as we think they did or beat it because they didn't come back to buy it again and new fans didn't jump in either. Yeah, it's so uh, it's a very difficult genre to to nail. Metroidvanias, Metroidvanias for those people that don't know are games like Castlevania and Metroid where you start off with very little ability in the game. You usually have one attack and a low jump and low speed and then as you progress throughout the game, you you gather unlockables, you you progress and then you can access new areas and fight enemies that used to be difficult are now easy mm-hmm. and that and that's how you progress through the game. So it's a lot of backtracking, which we talked a little bit about in Resident Evil. And it's a lot of just not knowing what to do, where to go, and there's no one to talk to either. So there's very little hand-holding in these games. They mm-hmm. don't have any uh, tutorial levels. They just kind of throw you challenges, and that's how you learn the game, which for some people is a great way to play a video game because you get to figure it out on your own, and it makes you feel smart. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I love Dark Souls. Yeah, exactly. And Resident Evil, which we talked about, it doesn't it doesn't hold your hand, which is great for people looking for a challenge, but for the, a lot of people who are gamers are not looking for anything that's going to... You shouldn't have to look up a wiki guide to play. Yeah, there, there's a there's a balance for sure. There is, and some of these games like Re, uh, like Resident Evil, like Dark Souls, like Metroid Prime, you have to have a laptop open next to you to know where to go <laughs> and what to do. Which for a lot of people, that's not feasible, and that's not how they want to play their games. Yeah, it had a bit of a resurgence a few years ago where we had games like uh, Hollow Knight and Guacamelee and a lot of indie games where we're getting yeah. Dead Cells I think is also a Metroidvania game so we were getting a ton of them every uh, what's that uh, Axiom Verge Axiom Verge yeah. yeah that's that's a straight up Metroid clone yeah. game yeah it looks just like Metroid on NES so yeah, very cool in the indie sphere it does very well but in, in terms of a triple A gaming franchise I don't know if a Metroidvania game can do as well as it 
did in the 90s, like with Symphony of the Night and Super Metroid. It just feels like that it's it's a gone genre for people i think i think i'm i'm well i'm i'm very curious to see what happens with metroid prime 4 and i think a lot of people are especially with nintendo is too (laughs) (laughs) especially with the delays in development Mm -hmm. um with it and and how it comes out and with retro studios doing it again which is cool Mm -hmm. Uh, who knows but uh, yeah i just want to talk a little bit here as we wrap up this episode to talk about in retrospect uh just looking back on this era so we're looking at november 17th 2002 metroid prime comes out Mm -hmm. gamecube is doing great. Yep. Uh, right now, things are looking good. If we're thinking of this like World War II kind of thing, and this is <laughs> this is this is the farthest Nintendo advances this is on the after line. After D D D It's like it's like um yeah it's almost like you know it's not even World War II but just like any war it's there's usually like that turning point. There's a turning there's, point. Yeah. There's yeah, yeah, usually that is. watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Um and and we're we're getting there because Holiday 2002 was looking very very good for nintendo we have yes. strong sales so far for this first year we have great releases you know we have some huge AAA games that have come out we have pretty good third-party support better than we had on the n64 mm-hmm. the war against ps and uh and xbox is looking very winnable uh at this at this stance playstation obviously selling like gangbusters <laughs> to bring that back selling like chocolate cake <laughs> yeah but I guess the real question here is, where did it go wrong? You know, and I guess that's for another episode because at this point, November seventeenth, two thousand two, uh, and soon after with Metroid Prime's numbers coming in at about three million, mm-hmm. and with Wind Waker on the horizon to come out in early two thousand three, mm-hmm. things were looking good for the GameCube. But where did it go wrong? We're gonna find out later on in this podcast, probably once we get to the maybe thirty or forties, uh, yep. and start getting into. Once we start having like once our biggest game of of the year is like Ratatouille, I think that's when we're <laughs> going to start not realizing. Oh, that's why. And yeah, I just I just kind of wanted to bring that up because it's that there's a watershed moment between here and when Echoes came out, and I think that's very visible because okay. because Echoes selling 1.4 million, 1.1 or 1.1, yeah, uh, with this you know with Prime selling three million. Uh, and uh you know clearly something happened clearly something happened something something happened so yeah i'm gonna be very excited to be getting into that once we go through the podcast but yeah remember november 2002 this is you just you just turned our podcast into a murder mystery do you realize that <laughs> <laughs> that's, what it? that's what it's been all along <laughs> whoa this is a twist that i didn't even see coming <laughs> this is bigger than the twist where nick had zaffer's copy of sunshine right no this tops that by a mile I'm, 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 i just got tingles like mm. down my spine when you said that man that's that's deep mm. Uh, well, I do have one more thing to say before we wrap this episode up. I have a quote from our favorite book, A Thousand One Video Games You Must Play Before You Die, and it's about Metroid Prime. Great. Let's hear it. <laughs> I gotta do Ooh. my... It's like an ASMR video <laughs> with papers. Let's be honest. Nobody thought this one was going to work. Retro managed to sum, uh, summon up the peculiar brand of melancholy and isolation that defined the 2D originals, while finding an intelligent means to grow your arsenal and skills gradually that opens up the complex environment the deeper you get into the game's spooky ruins. It manages to blaze its own trail. Sleek, thoughtful, and rather sad, Metroid Prime is a game that's inventive and as sharp and mysteriously alluring as a series to which it belongs. Yes. I love the uh, mysteriously alluring line there. That's a good, 
good way to sum up Metroid. Sexy way to describe Metroid, I think, yeah. <laughs> mm. It's definitely a cult classic, which is a weird way to describe a game that most people consider one of the best games of all time. I don't know why you'd consider it like a cult classic. It, it, I don't know. It just makes but it, it... But it is, in a way. Like, yeah. the sales numbers that you showed just kind of mm-hmm. almost uh, highlight that. It's a niche It's a niche game, and yeah. but it's a niche game that fits in with a with Zelda and Mario and Pokemon, which games are not traditionally niche games. They're mass market games that are supposed to have broad appeal. Yeah. And that's a tough thing to sell. So yeah. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. I think it's, I think Metroid prime just, we usually talk about going forward with these franchises. Where do we see it? Obviously I think Metroid prime is going to come out. Uh, I, I kind of surprised that they're making it Metroid prime for, I thought when they announced it as Metroid prime, I thought they were going to reboot the series to be honest. That's yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, like I don't know. I think I, as well. I'm still not convinced that Metroid Prime Four is the final title. Yeah, maybe maybe that was just a, a way mm-hmm. to get people in. Like I think it's going to be Metroid something, but I don't think Metroid Prime Four is going to. It might even be Metroid Prime something, but I don't think Four is going to be in the title. That's just a prediction in 2020 <laughs> that Neil is making. I we'll love see. that uh, on that when they actually were, like did the uh, the video for it. At E3 2015 or something. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Yeah, and and we saw the Nintendo store oh, in New York, yeah. and they and everyone everyone went nuts. And so it's a great reaction video, one of my favorites. But my favorite part of it is that I think people, obviously people were hyped, but I think people were hyped mm-hmm. because at first they thought they just saw the four, and they thought it was for Smash. Oh, and they thought it was because so? because the Wii had or sorry the the Switch had just come out because this was uh, June 2017 at E3. And so yeah, I think the right. Smash Ultimate had not been announced yet and it was not going to be announced for another year. Right? Oh, so uh okay. this this was uh, this was like their people's first foray into like oh my god, Smash could be coming. This could be it. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't. But it wasn't but it wasn't on the Switch. It was Smash it would have been Smash 5 at that point cuz Smash 4 was on Yeah, it was Wii. on Wii, but they thought it was going to be a port, you know what I mean? Like like Smash yeah, I guess so. Smash 4 because you hear a lot of people in the background being Smash Smash Oh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't listen to it that closely. I watched it again um, recently <laughs> <laughs> to prepare for this episode. Yes. I I took it as first of all when I see mass hysteria for one thing, <laughs> I never I I instantly look at that crowd and I think eighty percent of you aren't buying that because like it's just it's true though like market psychology is just know, people know, will react so heavily towards a new shiny thing. Most people won't act on those things. Which yeah, is true. It's unfortunate, but it was cool to see the the reaction to Metroid from those people. But you can guarantee everybody that went hyped in that room will not buy Metroid Prime Four. No. Which is just funny to see. It's like I can't think of anything else recently. I'm, I don't know. Like the, the the funniest reaction video. Just this is a total aside. But the funniest <laughs> reaction video I think I've ever seen in a crowd is when you, you know the DVD menu. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. No. <laughs> but that's one of my favorite reaction videos ever. Is a crowd. So for for the again the young listeners out there, we used to have DVDs, and uh, when you, you didn't have a DVD in the system, this DVD logo would just bounce around like a screensaver on your TV, and sometimes it would hit the corner, and that was a big deal because it almost it always just hit the sides. It was like pong. They did a bit on that in the office. Oh, you're right, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's never gonna happen yeah yeah you, you don't expect it to happen it's like a screensaver thing but the video we're yeah. referencing is just a crowd of maybe a 500 people mike and <laughs> yeah. and it's just people watching the dvd menu yeah and it hits the corner and the whole crowd explodes it nuts. In, in, oh, it's so amazing good. so wholesome mm-hmm. so mike <laughs> as before we close out the episode one last question do you unless you have more uh okay nope. do you recommend that gamecube collectors pick up metroid prime i would say it's a uh... 
absolute yep. must to ha- to own this game. It's again often referred to as the best game on the GameCube, one of the best games ever made. And to find out why it's such a great game, uh, pick it up on the GameCube if you're a collector. And if you're not and you don't have a GameCube, what are you doing? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you can also check it out on the Dolphin. Uh, we were recently on a great podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if it's come out. Well, okay, by the time this comes out, who knows what will be going on. But it's uh, called Gaming Memories. Uh, it was uh, very fun to be on. Neil and I were both talking about uh, the GameCube quite a bit. It'll be episode 32. But uh, we talked to the host uh, who was talking about uh, playing Metroid and playing Metroid on a uh, Dolphin emulator with the 4K textures. And it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. That game uh, obviously always looked good, uh, but playing it on the emulator at 4K, uh, 60 FPS, mm, so nice. Yeah. No, uh, and as I said on the podcast as well, uh, I played the game strictly on a tube TV. And if you have a CRT TV lying around and a GameCube and a copy of Metroid Prime, highly recommend playing it on that platform as well because it looks great on a tube TV. If you're a standard def guy and you can – standard definition guy. <laughs> that sounded really wrong when I heard it. Um, and you can take those levels of graphics. Uh, Metroid Prime is a fantastic uh, game to play on GameCube. It's It holds up ridiculously well in 2020. It still looks like a game like Halo. It's t- I hate comparing it to Halo, but you kind of have to as being a space shooter exploration game. So – if you pick up Metroid Prime, it's relatively affordable, as we mentioned earlier in the episode. It is it is the best game probably of this generation. It's not my favorite game on GameCube, but I definitely recommend you pick it up and add it to your collection as soon as possible because it's beautiful, it looks great, sounds great, a lot of history behind it, and it's definitely the best game in the Metroid Prime trilogy. So if you're going to play one game in the Metroid Prime franchise, Metroid Prime 1 is the way to go. Yep, mm-hmm. agreed. All right, Mike, so why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect for episode 26 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. Okay, for episode 26, now hitting 25, we can save money on insurance rates. So 26, I don't know what there is for that, but uh, Mm. we're at episode 26, and it is all about (sighs) Spider-Man. That's right, the one, the only, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and we're going to be talking about three games that released for the GameCube I think a lot of people forget these games were on the GameCube, um, but we have Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, often considered one of the greatest games of all time, mm-hmm. and Ultimate Spider-Man, which is one of my personal favorite games ever. Mm-hmm. Hidden gem. Yeah. Hidden gem for the GameCube. Yeah, no, I've mentioned it a bunch of times that Spider-Man 2 is the game that I got with my GameCube for my birthday. I posted that on our Instagram page last week because it was my birthday. Thank you all for the birthday wishes. Spider-Man is a holds a very special place in my heart as a cartoon movie and video game franchise i can't wait to talk about these three games i've played them all all three of them are fantastic in my mind i haven't gone back to them in a long time so we're gonna see and now spider-man is a sony exclusive franchise so it'll be interesting to talk about it when it was on nintendo platforms as well it's it's going to be a lot of fun mike bring me some pictures of spider-man okay (laughs) yeah i mean we're doing this because spider-man miles morales is releasing Mm -hmm. probably that weekend or that week i guess um so yeah that is the reason we will be doing the Spider-Man games. Uh... Yep, that'll be a lot of fun. So until then, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the GameCube pod and share us with your friends. And we hope you all have a safe and happy week. And we will see you next time. Take care. Bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game